This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. And all you guys were so concerned. You were freaking out. You thought Darren Ruff was going to be on this team? Never a doubt, ladies and gentlemen. Never a doubt. Welcome to Rico Bronia. On the day and the day after, the New York Mets said, Darren Ruff stinks. Let's DFA him. We'll talk about that, plus the other Met roster decisions they have made as they pare it down to 26 men. I do admit, I do admit, before I continue saying, I'm right, I'm right. I was a little nervous the other day when we recorded the Rico Bronia in which we talked about Vientos being sent down and Beatty being sent down. I was a little worried and I may have shown that worry, but I remain true despite that worry that like I told you on February 23rd, when we recorded our 26 man roster predictions, I said, Darren Ruff isn't going to be on this team, but that man I'm pointing towards Pete Hoffman he was so negative. All he said is, you're wrong. Ruff's going to be on the team. Billy Epler's proving to all of us how smart he is. So, Pete, I know you're happy. You're happy to be wrong, as am I, when I don't want to be right about things. How do you feel knowing Darren Ruff will never play for the New York Mets again? Listen, I, I'm actually relieved. This is great. But to be fair, I'm going to give myself a little credit here because for the majority of this offseason and spring training, I was right. I missed it by three days. We, we, I was close by three days that Darren Ruff was still on this roster. But, <laughs> but, but to be fair, dude, I am. This is. I'll take the L on this all day. I'm happy. I'm still disappointed that we don't have a young guy like. Not trying to compare other people, but we saw the Jordan Walker video, the Anthony Volpe right. video of all these kids getting a call, making the opening day roster. I would have liked to seen somebody of the younger elk make this team ilk, elk, whatever, make this team, make this roster out of the gate and really add a spark. Tim LaCastro doesn't do that, but I'm much happier seeing him make the roster than Darren freaking Ruff. You know, it's funny. I went back to the pod we did about a month ago. It was a little over a month ago when we made our predictions for the 26-man roster. And when I predicted Tim LaCastro, who I've always had a man crush on, at the beginning of the offseason – I brought his name up as a guy they should target in the middle of the offseason. I brought it up. I was even saying to Pete, we need to do an instant reaction emergency pod to LaCastro being signed to the minor league deal. So obviously, I've had a thing for him and the fit he brings to this team for a while. But I listened back to a few minutes of that pod we did a month ago. And what I said then, I, I still kind of feel, even though I was dead wrong about it, I was hoping for Tim LaCastro to make the team. I wasn't ever really confident about it. The only thing I was confident about was that they would move on from Darren Roth, that they wouldn't bring him back, especially if spring training panned out the way it did where he didn't hit. And he basically continued what had happened a year ago. So I don't know if I was ever 
confident about the LeCastro pick. And you do bring up an interesting point, which we'll discuss, and that is the roster makeup. The decision for LeCastro to be on this roster at the expense of Darren Ruff is a fascinating one because the Mets basically told you, and Billy Epler basically told you, we are going to value defense, we're going to value versatility, and more than that, we're going to value speed and stolen bases late more than having a guy on our roster who can DH against left-handed pitching because they don't have that. That's the truth. And they could have had that. It's not as if they didn't have any other options. They did. Mark Vientos was that option. And he was always kind of the best option if you wanted to replace Darren Ruff with somebody already in this organization who fills that need, who fills that hole as a right-handed DH, as a guy that can match left-handed pitching. And the Mets a few days ago decided we're not going to go that route. And they went for a very different route in forming this roster. And I'm mixed about it because I love what LeCastro brings. I do. I, I made the case a month ago. I'll make the same case today. In this day and age, with the new rules that have been created, not only with the kind of shorter distance between first and second, but even the pitch clock rules and the idea that you can't pick off more than two times. If you do it a third time, there's a balk. Speed is going to play such a huge part of this sport. And the Mets have brought in a super deluxe pinch runner specialist, which I've always liked, by the way. Terrence Gore last year, I've always liked having a guy like that. But I think it matters even more in this day and age. So I love that. I love the fact that they have a guy on this roster that fits that bill. I love the fact they've got a guy who can play a decent center field, left field, and right field. I love that. And I think that makes this team late in games a more dangerous team. But they do not have a right-handed DH. You know, the New York Mets are going to play, I think it's three games out of their first six or seven. I haven't counted that ahead of time, but I know with the Marlins, but they're going to face left-handed pitching. There's going to be a lefty on the mound. So you have to ask yourself, who's the DH that night? And we had talked about this in the past. What would it look like if LeCastro replaces Ruff? We always knew Luis Guillerme would be on this team. We always knew, obviously, Tomas Nito as the backup catcher would be on this team. We always knew Tommy Pham would be on this team. They signed him to a guaranteed contract. That one is under the microscope, by the way. That's the one we're going to look at. And there's a, he's the new guy, now that Ruff is gone, that we're all going to point to and say, this guy better freaking hit. And we'll get more to that a little bit later on. And then you've got LeCastro. So those, those are your bench pieces, which they all fill kind of a different need coming off the bench. But okay, they're off your bench when Vogelbach is DHing against a righty. Now there's a lefty on the mound. Who's your DH? So answer that question right off the top, Pete. Who's the designated hitter game two of this season with Jesus Lazardo on the mound? Escobar, and you're going to make Guillaume your third baseman. Interesting. That's your first response. Yep. So you're what you're doing is, and by the way, what's interesting about that, you're being consistent to what Billy Epler's been selling us over the last few weeks about defense, defense, defense. Part of the reason why they were unsure about Brett Beatty, he's got to get better defensively. Mark Vientos has to get better defensively. Tim LaCastro made this team defense, defense, defense. He even said it on Monday. Late in the game, we don't want that big, hairy, power-hitting guy off the bench. We want to have some versatility. That was his line. That would at least back up his point if he says, hey, against the lefty, here's what we're going to do. We're not adding a better bat. We're going to add a better glove because Luis Guillerme is a better defensive third baseman than Eduardo Escobar. I think we're going to see a little bit of that, but I think Tommy Pham's going to get the shot. 
I do. I think Tommy Pham is going to get that shot to to DH slash play the outfield because he could, against the lefty, play center field with Nimmo DHing. He could play right field with Castro DHing, uh, uh, Marte DHing. So I do think that in that role of who's the bat in the lineup, more so than just who's the DH, because I'm sure they'll use the DH for other guys, especially Nimmo and Marte, who are coming off some injuries. But I think Tommy Pham gets the bulk of the opportunities early if he struggles offensively like he has in spring training. A, Vientos may come up, but also I think we'll see a little bit of the let's improve our defense and play Guillerme at third base. And like you said, Pete, have Escobar DH. Can I ask you a question? Because I didn't do the research, and that's me being naive, and I apologize about that. But what are Tam- Tommy Pham's splits against lefties that we have to, you know, that that's the go-to move? I know they brought him in. It's a fourth outfielder, which I'm not hating on so much. But to slide him in as a right-handed DH, what has he done to fill that role? Well, okay, so the answer to that question is what year do you want to look at? I think looking at the entirety of his career, sure, we can do that. But we could also look at what have you done recently. A year ago, which is, I think, the first thing you want to look at because it was last year, Tommy Pham had a bad offensive season. His numbers against lefties was significantly better than his numbers against righties. And here's what they, here's what they sounded like, okay? Against righties, he hit just 224, 653 OPS. Against lefties, he had 273, 50 points higher a 784 OPS, which is good, but not great. I mean, it's not as if he's destroying them. And he had six home runs, 21 RBIs, and 70 games against lefties. So they're not great by any stretch. They're just significantly better than how he did against right-handed pitching. But a year earlier, 2021, another year in which Tommy Pham was bad. He was actually a little bit better in 2021, but he wasn't very good. Here are the numbers. I laugh because it's going to be not what you, not what we want. Against righties, he had 239 with a 736 OPS. Against lefties, 202 with a 689 OPS. Oh my now, God. I know, but here's where it gets good, all right? In 2019, when Pham had a really good year, he had 21 home runs that year. Against righties, 248, 765 OPS. But against lefties, all right, against lefties, he went 340 with a 945 OPS. How about that? Yeah, but that was th- <laughs> four years ago. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean, I know. On, We're dude. looking at numbers from three years ago to justify, oh, well, that's good. Hey, okay, so just one thing that I want to touch on that we that – I want to go back to something. They they talked about Epler and every and company talked about how there was a tough decision for them to have to tell Darren Ruff that he couldn't make this team. There was a very tough spot for them, but right. yet they had no problem telling Mark Vientos, "Hey, you're going to AAA." Explain to me how you have a bat that may be able to be more suitable for your lineup, and yet you have no problem doing that. But yet it's, oh, it's so tough to break Darren Ruff's heart. Well, because, first of all, Billy Epler was breaking his own heart because he had to admit, which he did to his credit, this was a bad trade. I made a very bad trade. But I think when you DFA a guy, you're firing them. You know, that, that's really what you're doing. You're firing the guy. You're like, you're gone. We're going to pay you money to leave. Nobody's going to claim you off waivers. Then you're going to refuse a minor league assignment, and you're gone. When you send a guy to the minor leagues, you're basically winking at them and saying, we see you soon. 
we believe in you and you'll be back. And so I think that's the difference between DFAing a guy and telling another guy, hey, we're going to send you down for a little bit. But I got to give Billy Epler a little bit of credit. I do. I have to be fair about this. You mentioned this a lot. I even gave you credit, mentioned it the other day, that it feels like Billy Epler is trying to force Darren Ruff down our throats to justify a bad trade. And sometimes in sports, you have to just admit that you made a bad move, that you just have to say, look, this didn't work out. This is on me. I'm going to take my L and we move on. And to Billy Epler's credit, he did that. He did. He said point blank, it did not work out. And I appreciate that because while it's still a bad trade that can get even worse, and we'll get into the four guys they gave up and examine their futures and how bad this trade can be, I appreciate you not making it worse. And Darren Ruff being on this roster and getting the at-bats against lefties would have made it worse because then you'd be forcing him down our throats. So give Epler credit for this. It was a bad, bad, bad trade that, again, we'll examine more, but at least he was able to move on in a few months and not force this down our throat any more than he did. But now it's turned, Darren Ruff has turned into a more expensive Tommy Pham, and how long, and listen, to, I would like to see Tommy Pham produce. I don't think anybody's sitting there rooting for Tommy Pham not to produce, but you just went through his numbers, and they're not, nothing to really sit there and be like, oh, I can't wait to see this guy hit the cover off the ball. Like, I'm nervous. So, so here's where it, it's a screw-up, but let's see what for, – for, well, it's not a screw-up yet. Tommy Pham has never played a major league game for the New York Mets, so I want to be fair about this. We can examine last year and the year before and the year before that all we want. Tommy Pham is still not suited up as a New York Met yet, so for me or you to call it a failure is not fair, but here's my point on this. Knowing what happened with LeCastro, which you could have predicted. He had a big spring training, but no one's confused enough to think Tim LeCastro is going to hit 280. He's not a good hitter. I'm not presenting him as one. I'm not even suggesting LeCastro is a guy who plays regularly. He's a bench piece, right? So he's far removed from the right-handed DH spot, but he's their fourth outfielder. If you knew Tim LeCastro was going to be your fourth outfielder, it would have made Tommy Pham less needed by this team. And so what you would have done was, A, not sign Tommy Pham, and have Vientos or somebody else be that right-handed DH. By having Pham and Locastro on the roster, you have two guys, I don't want to say they fill the same role because they are different, but they're both outfielders. And Pham would have been less necessary if you had the foresight to know, hey, Tim Locastro is going to have that role. And then that fourth spot on your bench could be the more traditional right-handed DH spot. They're not going to cut Tommy Pham in a month, all right? It's not going to happen. Tommy Pham's going to be on this team, and hopefully he's going to be awesome. It is not fair to kill him for spring training, and I'm not. I think we're more just looking at the player that he is, and him having a different role now, which is right-handed DH, is not what we envisioned when the Mets signed him. The thought was, he's a fourth outfielder. That was the thought. So if we could go back into time, and we could almost grab Billy Epler and say, Billy, Tim LeCastro is the fourth outfielder. Then there would have been less of a need for Pham to be on this roster. But here's what I wonder about. Because I don't think the Mets are going to take my other piece of advice, which I've had, which is, why do you need to carry 13 pitchers? If you carry 12 pitchers, this becomes less of an issue. 
Okay. If Dennis Santana is not on this roster and the Mets are carrying seven bullpen arms to go along with five starting pitchers, that allows you a fifth guy on your bench. And if the fifth guy on your bench is Mark Vientos to go along with LeCastro and Pham and Guillerme and Nito, are we having this conversation right now? No, not at all. This would, It'd be irrelevant. Yeah. It'd be irrelevant. So I don't know what it would take for the Mets to do that because they want to limit the innings of some of their starters. They're going to carry a six starter, which is going to complicate things. So I don't know if there's ever going to be a time where they'll feel comfortable with having seven guys out of their bullpen, but that's the answer to a lot of these issues. And it would make Tim LaCastro and Tommy Pham fit on this roster with a guy that can hit left-handed pitching. Because the biggest problem that comes out of all this is they do not have a right-handed DH. That guy is not on this freaking team. And mark my words, come August, whoever's playing against lefties is not on the major league team right now. Maybe it's Vientos himself. Maybe it's Beatty facing lefties with Escobar as the right-handed DH. Or maybe it's a trade acquisition. But it's certainly not the makeup of the roster they're setting out for opening day. Right, and this is why a lot of people think that the Mets are worse in a lineup this year than they were last year. And I, I can't argue with it at times because I feel like the game plan to go in there with a DA, like, I don't understand where we went wrong. Where, like, J.D. Davis, not saying that he was unbelievable and not saying that we were, done, we were done with him too. It felt like as fans, we were done with J.D. Davis as a right-handed DH for us. But I just don't understand how they could sit there and say, we're better than we were last year. On the other hand, though, I look at it and go, they did win 101 games with this with this lineup, basically, with almost an identical lineup with no true DH. So we can't be all that bad, right? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I would say yes, because their production from DH last year was really, really bad. It was one of the worst in baseball. Their production from catcher was really, really bad. It was some of the worst numbers in baseball. And I would argue that those two position groups will be better this season. Now, one pushback on me clearly would be, well, how are they going to be better at DH if they don't have a right-handed DH? I agree. Off the top, they don't. I think Vogelback, despite a bad spring training, is going to be productive against right-handed pitching. And I think he's going to be more productive than what we saw from the first half last year with Dominic Smith having that role. Okay, so right off the top, I think they're improving in that regard. I don't believe what they're going to do in April against lefties at DH is sustainable. It's not going to last. There's going, Mark Vientos is going to be on this team. The question I have is how? Do they kind of reevaluate LeCastro and say, eh, it's not worth the cheery steals bases and moves on? Is it Tommy Pham? Probably not. Is it going short on a pitcher? Like, how do they get back to Vientos where he becomes the right-handed DH? Is it a guy getting hurt? Like, and what I mean by that is, knock on wood, because I don't want anybody hurt, but if um, Mark Canna went on the injured list, right? Let's just say, goes on the injured list. The guy you call up is not an outfielder. You already have two outfielders. The guy you call up is Mark Vientos. You could argue Brett Beatty too, but for the sake of this, Mark Vientos. And then your left fielder is either Tommy Pham or Tim LaCastro or it's Jeff McNeil, and Mark Vientos is on the roster. So I think if anybody gets hurt and goes on the I.L., a guy you can instantly call up is Vientos or Beatty, but for the sake of this, Vientos. So I think that 
the right-handed DH slot is going to change. I'm just not sure when, and I'm not sure how. And then naturally, you look at guys on this roster and say, will Eduardo Escobar have a better year than he had last year? Will he have a better first half than he had last year? Will Alonzo McNeil and Lindor basically repeat what they did last year? I think they can be comparable. I'm not sure Jeff McNeil's going to win the batting title. Not sure Lindor's going to have the same amount of RBIs, but can those three guys continue to be productive? Can Starling Marte be productive, if not more, because he's healthier? Can Brandon Nimmo repeat those numbers? I think they have a lot of guys who could at least repeat those numbers, and if you're getting more production out of DH and catcher, there you go. You're a top-five offense in Major League Baseball. Period. Stop, right? Yeah, well, and Navarre is not for nothing. That's the one part... That's the one spot where we were hoping that Francisco Alvarez was going to make this team. Clearly, that didn't happen. But Narvaez is actually an upgrade. Like, no one could think about yeah. it. No, no, no one thinks that at all. But compared to James McCann, clear upgrade. Yeah, I think it depends what Narvaez shows up. I mean, Narvaez has had some down years like last year, but he's also a guy capable of hitting 22 home runs in a season. So which Omar Narvaez is there? As far as the rough trade, to put kind of a, a bow on that disaster, the New York Mets gave up four players for Darren Ruff, one of which you mentioned already is J.D. Davis, who's had a good spring for the Giants. He had a very good second half, or at least month and a half, after the trade. 800 OPS, started hitting lefties, hit 270. He was, he was good. He was already a lot better than Darren Ruff. And we, we saw glimpses of J.D. Davis when he was here. I was never at the point where they had to get rid of J.D. Davis. I wasn't done with him necessarily, but he wasn't producing enough. And I think clearly the Mets wanted, we wanted some kind of upgrade. The problem was Darren Ruff wasn't the upgrade. But J.D. Davis was player number one in the deal. Player number two was Thomas Zabucki. Thomas Zabucki appeared in one game for the Mets and through batting practice. Uh, I think he gave up like eight runs in a third of an inning. It was just brutal. It was to, awful. To the Giants, nonetheless. To the Giants, yes. <laughs> and Zabucki was a marginal prospect for a while, was a starting pitcher. He goes off in this deal. Nobody batted an eye because everybody remembered that performance against the Giants and said, fine, good. See you later. He goes to the Giants. He pitched well out of the bullpen. He did. It was a limited amount of innings. It was like 12 or 13 innings, but maybe found himself pitching out of the Giant bullpen. We'll see. He's a 26-year-old lefty. Can he turn into a serviceable reliever? It's absolutely on the table. They gave up a single-A riding named Carson Seymour, who put up some good numbers for the Mets last year. And they gave up a 24-year-old single-A lefty, Nick Zwack. I don't know if Carson Seymour or Nick Zwack will ever get to the major leagues. But if, God forbid, they did, and they're just serviceable major leaguers, it only adds to this abomination of a trade. It just, it just adds to it. Because the Mets didn't get something bad in return. They got something that was awful in return. They got back one of the worst returns we could ever remember. He was so bad last season. And then, you know, this year he didn't affect us other than just showing up to spring training and wasting people's time. But to give up four bodies, four human beings, two of which have already reached the major leagues for two months of awfulness, I don't know where this is going to rank Pete years from now, but this is a bad, bad, bad trade. Well, I, I just don't understand, like, rough... I know he has had some good splits in the past and all that stuff, but where did the desperation come from, from Billy Epler or, or whomever in, in the front office? I don't think it was Cohen, but we all knew we needed a bat. Where did Darren Ruff become like the, oh my goodness, this is the guy that's going to solve all our problems? Because, because and I, I have to defend this because I remember when the trade went down and I defended it on the Rico, He's he hits lefties. 
And it was as simple as that, that, okay, this is perfect. If you take Ruff's numbers against lefties and you take Vogelback's numbers against righties and you combine them, and I did that on a Rico, I own that. I said, that's a productive player. And I think it was as simple as that in terms of what they gave up. I think they were ready to move on from J.D. Davis since Ruff was replacing him. And they looked at Sapaki, Seymour, and Zwack as non-prospects and figured, yeah, we're giving up four guys, but none of those guys are top prospects. They didn't give up Ronnie Mauricio in this trade. They didn't give up a top 10 or even a top 20 prospect. I don't think any of these guys were top 20 Met prospects prior to the trade. So I think they looked at rough splits after they made the Vogelback trade. That was the kind of guy they were going to add. They weren't going to add somebody who wasn't a platoon player. Why'd they trade for Vogelback, right? Why'd they trade Colin Holderman for him? So I think once they made that trade, they were clearly going in that direction of let's get the right-handed version of him. And they probably weren't afraid of the guys they gave up. And who knows? I, I, there's no guarantees Zwack or Seymour is a bookie. You're going to become anything. We already know what J.D. Davis is. He's had his moments. He had a good year for us in 2019. But those other three guys may not turn out to be anything. And clearly the Mets were comfortable with just moving on from them. This is why I know I'm projecting way too far in advance. But I am concerned about the trade deadline when it comes to Billy Epler because are they just going to go for, can we, I know they don't want to trade any high-level prospects, which I'm happy about. That makes that That is something that I love to hear. I don't want to do it. But on the other hand, what what le- type of player are we going to actually get and bring in as a bat? That, to me, is where I get concerned with this team already. Yeah. Look, you you can only judge people on their track records. And there's no doubt Billy Epler's track record at the trade deadline is an 0 for 1. I don't think there's any doubt. When you look at the moves that he made at the deadline, there was not a huge reward from it. So, yeah, I think it's fair that when we get towards late July, we're going to look at Billy and say, hmm, I wonder how this one's going to go. You know what must have sucked for Billy? Forgetting about just admitting it was a bad trade to all of us. When he, because he mentioned he called Cohen. His words. I didn't even call him Steve. I called Cohen. He called Cohen to tell him, hey, we got to write a check for $3 million to get rid of this bump. And that's a tough conversation because you're telling your boss, I made such a bad trade. I recommend we DFA him and pay him money to leave. With Robinson Cano, it's easy. You didn't make that trade. It's very easy to say, hey, <laughs> I inherited this, Steve. I think we should get rid of him. You made the trade. So Billy Epler had to make a very uncomfortable phone call. He had to call up his boss, the owner of the New York Mets, and say, yeah, remember that trade I made back in July? It was so bad. I am recommending, with your approval, of course, you write the checks, that we write this check to get rid of him. And even though it's not a huge number compared to the other checks Steve Cohen has written, you're still asking your owner to write millions of dollars on a check to tell a guy to leave. And so that couldn't have been easy. And now, uh, I know it wasn't under Epler's watch, but this is the second trade deadline where under Cohen, where things have kind of went awry, they did trade Javi Baez for Pico Armstrong. So you're going two failed trade deadline. So so under Cohen, it's over 2. 
It is. It, they're completely different, though. They're completely different in terms of, A, who made the trade, but also different in types of what they gave up. They knew they were giving up a top prospect. They went for it to a degree by trading for Javier Baez. You just said, hey, what kind of player are they going after? Well, two years ago, they went after a really good player. They went after one of the better players available. I think the big debate at the trade deadline is clearly going to be Otani, and it's going to be how much are you willing to give up for what could be a rental? Because you're going to have to give up your entire system. And this is one of those rare cases where I think there will be a tax on the New York Mets because Artie Moreno is a vengeful, awful owner. And I don't, there's a chance Artie says, you're not trading him to the Mets. I think that's absolutely on the table. Or he could say, yeah, you want to trade him to the Mets? We're going to take him for everything they have. We are going to take Alvarez. We are going to take Mauricio. We are going to take bait. Like we are going to take, they're going to make the Darren Ruff trade look like child's play. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) As far as the bullpen is concerned, Tommy Hunter made the team. Congratulations. That's a bit, you know, I take some, I take some blame on this because I think when we were talking about bullpen options and that one was very tough to predict, I looked at TJ McFarlane and thought, Oh, that's a guy. He's got a connection to buck. They could add another lefty to the bullpen to go along with Brooks Raleigh. And I forgot about Buck's love affair for Tommy Hunter. And the truth is, Tommy Hunter has been on the Mets now for two separate years. He was actually even here before Buck was here back in 2021. For a short period of time, he was here. Tommy Hunter pitched eight scoreless innings in 2021. Last year, Tommy Hunter gave up six earned runs in 22-plus innings, which is a 2-4 ERA. Tommy Hunter's been a good Met. You know, he's he he's been good. You know, he got another non-roster invitee this season. He is 36 years old, going to turn 37 in the middle of the year, so he's no spring chicken. And he's one of those relievers that's, you know, bounced around baseball, the Phillies, the Rays, the Orioles, Cleveland. He's been everywhere. But he does make a lot of sense on this on this roster. It makes a lot of sense in terms of he had a good spring training. He pitched well for the Mets last year. He pitched well met for the Mets the year before. There was really no mark against him. So bad job by us by not giving him more of a shot when we were talking about all the possibilities to make this roster. Jeff Brigham, guy like that, he didn't make the team. The other one we couldn't have predicted is Dennis Santana. It looks like Dennis is going to make the team. He was a the guy they picked up uh, a couple weeks ago. Hasn't pitched that much in spring training, but another one of those guys, veteran reliever, maybe you get a great year out of him. And it's also really temporary because – these names are going to change. They're going to change because guys are going to go on the eye out and they're going to change because guys are going to go up and down. That is clearly going to happen. We obviously were wrong about the amount of bullpen spots that were up for grabs because none of us could have seen Edwin Diaz getting hurt. But Brooks Raleigh should be ready to go. And the core of this bullpen, the guys who are going to be asked to get the biggest outs of the game, at least from the get-go, because things can change based on the seasons that guys are having. Drew Smith, Brooks Raleigh, David Robertson, Adam Adovino. And I've been giving it more thought. I do not think that David Robertson is going to be the closer. I think David Robertson is going to get a lot of opportunities in the ninth inning. But I think Buck Showalter, who did it last year with Edwin Diaz, I think it is going to be about matchups. I, I really do. I, I think that we are going to see days where Brooks Raleigh is getting saves. I think there's going to be days where David Robertson is getting saves. I think there are going to be days where Adam Adovino, especially against a right-handed lead in part of the order, is going to be getting saves. And maybe Drew Smith. Drew Smith had a weird year last year because he was really good early on. Then he started to struggle. Which Drew Smith are we going to see? 
those other guys, um, Santana, Nagosik, Hunter, they're probably going to be kind of more towards the back end needing to prove themselves, really. But those four guys at the top are going to be asked to get, I think, the the high leverage outs. And there isn't going to be a closer. And you look around baseball. Pete and I had our fantasy draft the other day, and we, we're in a league with saves and holds. Luckily, that's easy for us because guy gets a hold, great. Guy gets a save, great. We don't live in a world anymore where guys are just getting saves. There's a lot of teams in baseball where there are going to be multiple guys getting the saves. Multiple guys are going to be getting that ninth inning. It's going to be all over the place. But I, I'm actually comfortable with this. Like This is something where like a lot of people are like, oh my goodness, the season's over because Edward Diaz isn't there. If you wanted to talk about a, a bullpen that was actually set to succeed with their closer going down, it's the New York Mets. You have three guys, Adovino, Robertson, and I, Raleigh's closed enough games with, with Tampa, if I'm correct, that they have they have plenty of guys to fill the void, to make those high-level situations and, and, and close out those innings and, and succeed. I'm not, I'm not concerned about this bullpen. That's the one thing, actually, I'm actually very happy with. The... I'm concerned about every bullpen, Pete, because I feel like bullpens are similar to place kickers in the NFL where you just don't know what you're getting year to year. And that can be good and that can be bad because you're going to have a guy that we're not even thinking of who may have been in the minor leagues right now. Maybe it's Montes to Oka once he gets healthy, who's going to dominate, who's going to have a great year. And there are going to be guys, unfortunately, Adam Adovino may be the leading candidate for this, who just have a bad year after having a great year. Remember Aaron Loop? The Mets moved on at the right time, but they let Aaron Loop go. He goes to Anaheim. He's mediocre. And that's a year after having like a one-two ERA. So I, I get what you're saying, by the way. I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong that they were equipped to deal with this because they have a lot of depth in their bullpen. I just think bullpen arms are so up and down. I, I just, David Robertson too. Like David Robertson and Adam Ottavino are perfect candidates to not be nearly as good as they were a year ago. If they're as good as they were a year ago, the Met bullpen's in great shape. They both had really good seasons. It's just, you don't know from year to year, and that's what's so scary. No, I, I get that. But the one thing that I will say is Adam Adovino and David Robertson are both veterans enough where they've been through those up and downs before too. So they're, it's not like it's going to be like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm having a shaky season. How do I improve from here? How do I get it back to where it was last year? Adam Adovino has gone through those downs with the Yankees, with the Red Sox, and have been able to figure things out. And I've been able, not saying he's per- perfect, but at least he's gone through it before that in high leverage situations, I think that he can get back to it, even if he loses it. Like a role of somebody that we're talking about in a, in two months or three months, if he's doing okay with the Kansas City Royals, do we see he, the Mets try to make a play for him? I don't think I touched the guy because I still don't think he can figure out a non-high leverage situation anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are going to be guys. I don't know if it's Chapman to your point, but there's going to be guys who we're not even thinking of are going to be targets at the trade deadline. Uh, the one guy I don't want to forget about is John Curtis, who I think can also very quickly move himself into a high leverage role too. Uh, the Mets took a flyer on John Curtis a year ago. It was all for this moment after missing last year with Tommy John, and he had a good offseason, uh, a good spring training as well. So, yeah, I guess the bullpen isn't that surprising. I think both of us figured John Curtis had a great chance to make the team. Dennis Santana was no one we thought of because he wasn't on the team. Nagosik always had an inside track because he was out of options. They also announced that Tyler McGill was going to the minor leagues. Not a surprise. I think we talked about that on the last Rico, the Rico before that, where 
one of those guys, Peterson or McGill, were going to go to the minor leagues. It doesn't mean they're not going to be back real soon. The Mets are going to use a six-man rotation at times throughout the season. Tyler McGill is going to be that guy. David Peterson earned, completely earned, not just from spring training, but even last year, he earned the top crack at this fifth spot in the rotation, even though it's really the second spot in the rotation because he's pitching the second game of the year, but whatever. Tyler McGill pitched the first game of the year last year. What the hell does that mean? So David Peterson deserves that first crack. Tyler McGill is going to remain a starting pitcher at AAA, and then he's going to come back, and he's going to come back relatively soon to fill in, hopefully not for somebody hurt, but just to add a sixth guy to the rotation. And then I hate to tell you this, someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to miss hopefully only a couple of starts, but someone's going to miss time. And then Tyler McGill's in the rotation. And then eventually LSR Hernandez is in the rotation. <laughs> and then God, and then Dylan Bundy is in the rotation. Joey Lucchese, let's go. Joey Lucchese, like all these guys at some point will get starts. That's going to happen. That's just the way it is. But Tyler McGill going down to the minor leagues, no surprise at all, no issue with it. David Peterson deserves this crack in the rotation, and he's going to get it day two of the season. So I had a hypothetical um, because I work with a lot of Yankee fans and I've heard a lot of Yankee fans say Volpe made the team, Glaber Torres, the best option is to trade him. So I threw this out there just to see what people thought. I want to hear what your reaction is because it's weird the reactions I've gotten from Yankees and Mets fans. Would you trade Glaber Torres for either Carlos Carrasco, David Peterson, or Tyler McGill? Um, uh, I would not trade. Uh, where the hell is Glaber Torres playing, by the way? Right. Just to, right, right let's start with that. Like, what's your plan? McNeil goes to the outfield? Right. McNeil goes to the outfield, and then Torres could be the right-handed DH at certain times, too. Yeah, I, pro- I pro- honestly, probably, I would make that trade just because I think Glaber Torres still has that kind of star potential, even though he's taken a step back the last couple of years. So probably if I had to rank the order of importance on it, I would actually want to protect David Peterson amongst anyone else. Carlos Carrasco is a veteran righty. He's probably not going to be back next year. Short term, it would you know hurt your rotation depth. But yeah, at the end of the day, am I trading Carlos Carrasco for Glaber Torres? Absolutely. After that, I would probably do Tyler McGill. David Peterson, I'm scared about trading because I think he's got a chance to be really good. I, I think that. I think he has a chance to be really good, but it's it's not going to happen, Pete. You know these Met Yankee trades. They never, they're not going to happen. What? You should call up the overnight at WFA and suggest this to Lakata, and he'll yell at you. I, I would have called up McMonicle the other night, but the phones weren't working. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, reason, the reason why I asked though, too. The re- okay, so but to be fair, I've heard no's from both sides. Like, obviously, Yankee fans are like, well, no, we should get more for Glaber Torres. I'm like, well, first of all, you're telling the, telling me the guy sucks. He shouldn't be on the team. Well, I don't understand that. Like, Glaber Torres isn't a good enough bat to be playing second base or being on the New York Yankees. I'm sorry. They're not that great that Glaber Torres should not be on the team. And, by the way, you do need pitching health, so we have excess pitching. By and the way, that- didn't, I, didn't I suggest way back when during the offseason, when we had trade week, and we had a very special Mets-Yankees trade episode. I think one of the trades I came up with was Glaber Torres for David Peterson, wasn't it? I know, and I'm pretty sure we said no to that. I think, C- <laughs> I think T-Mac said no. And, well, and the funny thing is, I so the Mets fans, though, a lot of Mets fans, you're the first one that said, 
you the question was fair. Where are we gonna play Libertores? But you're the first person that said I would I'd be willing to make the trade. Most people well, said yeah, no. Because if you're just asking me, you know, would I trade Carlos Carrasco, who's gonna be here for one more year, who's a solid veteran in the rotation, don't get me wrong, for a guy who could be on my team potentially for the next eight or nine years. Yeah. And I think the beauty of Jeff McNeil is that he's a Swiss army knife. Jeff McNeil, I think will be a Met for a long time, but he may play different positions. He may be, he's a second baseman. Now there's no guarantee. That's where he's playing three years from now. Maybe he's the left fielder three years. He's Ben Zobrist. That's crazy. He's Ben Zobrist. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. And I think what's great about him is that he never gets affected by it. You know, his, his batting never is affected by, Oh, he's playing left field today, right field tomorrow, second base today, third base. It doesn't bother him, but that trade's never going to happen. I I don't feel a Met trade, and you could save this if I'm dead wrong. I don't feel a Met trade before opening day. Now, sometimes we do get those late spring training. I think they got Jerry Blevins right before opening day. They got Jose Vizcaino years ago right before opening day. So there are trades like that. I don't think it's coming. So if you're waiting for the right-handed DH via that, (laughs) <laughs> it's not happening. I think a lot of the Met additions, I'm not saying it's a trade deadline edition because that's a different, that's months from now. They're coming from within. Now, they got two guys right now in their system that are on the verge of being called up and maybe having prominent roles in this offense in Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty. They are not spending the entire year at AAA. Francisco Alvarez may spend the entire year at AAA. I would not say that about Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty. We got a lot more Ricos. We're going to give you a Rico every night until we get to opening day. Every day till opening day, we'll have specific Met predictions with our friend Sal Licata. Pete and I will give you our official MLB predictions, including making fun of all my MLB predictions over the last decade and how bad they've been. Or right. I've had a couple of rights. And obviously, we'll get you set for opening day and have an instant reaction to the opener on Thursday against the Miami Marlins. I do want to give credit to one guy who did email us. And I thought it was very funny because he held himself accountable. And I appreciate that. And that person was a guy by the name of Howie. All right. Howie wrote us complaining at me and you, at me and Pete. He said, Evan and Pete, I just listened to episode 102 and I had to write this in an email. He's about to kill us, by the way. Normally, I consider both of you the voice of reason behind all the crazy Met fans out there in social media. But during this episode, you guys really sounded plain, unreasonably biased against Darren Ruff. Let me state, I am not a Ruff fan, and I don't think he's good. That much I agree with both of you. But let's be realistic. If purely based on spring training stats, these regulars should be caught. And he cited Tommy Pham hitting 156, Daniel Vogel back hitting 205. He says, and these guys should make it. And he quoted DJ Stewart hitting 370, Jose Peraza hitting 300. Then let's make Stewart the fourth outfielder since he's hitting better. Of course not. If you guys want to cut Darren Ruff, why not Daniel Vogel back too? He's on, and he goes on and on and on. Okay. First of all, as I explained, Howie, my issues with Ruff was not just based on spring training. It was based on the last year. Spring training was just a continuation. Howie wrote back after the rough news, like literally five minutes after the rough news came out. And this is why Howie is a great listener and a good man. Howie writes, hi, Evan and Pete. Okay, I was wrong. (laughs) The Mets just DFA'd rough 
What do I know about GMing a team? Howie from Flushing. That's my guy right there. I love it, Howie. Thank you. He took his L. <laughs> hey, by the way, so partly the reason why we've been so hard on rough, like you said, we were hard on rough because of the last season. He wants to cut Vogel back because of a terrible spring. If anybody can recall, one guy that everyone wanted to get last year was Juan Soto. And I, I respect the guy's a phenomenal talent. But Vogelback, and I go on this record because last year, when he got traded to the Mets, his numbers were better than Juan Soto at the trade deadline. You go back, it's fact. They both had six home runs. I think Vogelback <laughs> had 25 RBIs to Soto 16. Did, His o- right. OPS was higher. You go up and down. Now, I'm not saying that Vogelback is is the, the key to this offense like we're talking about going into 2023. But if you want to be fair, who had the better the better uh, second half at, after trade deadline? It was Vogelback over Soto. Uh, here's the truth. Here's what I take out of this. If the Mets or Yankees had traded for Juan Soto last year and he put up the same production, he would be destroyed by fans. Like he would be criticized because a, the package that you'd have to give up B, we all know how great Juan Soto is. And for him to come over and hit two thirty with an OPS of seven eighty, Oh my God. I, it would just, there would have been hell to pay. That's the real moral of that story. He did not perform well. Just like if the Mets trade for Shohei Otani and he comes over and he hits 225 and pitches to a 6 ERA. Dude, forget about it. He's done. That would not go well. That would no. not go well. No. Anyhow, we appreciate you listening. Of course, you can interact with us to RicoB at gmail.com. A Rico every day until we get to opening day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.